customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. I'd like to start today's episode of Times Ours at a nice sort of right here kind of tone, if that's okay with both of you, my two co-hosts, Nate Taylor and Seth Kaiser. I'm Joshua Briscoe. And guys, let's please go ahead and keep it chill. Let's keep it down here. Do either one of you know why I feel like it's important to kind of start in this headspace for the beginning of today's podcast? Nate, why don't you hazard a guess? Well, hello, Josh. Hello, Nate. Hello, Nathaniel. Uh... I'm wondering if it's to just, you know, make sure that you are handling everything in a professional, mature manner. That's important, of course. But I, so Seth, I'll give you a hint here. Since I give Nate the first guess, I'll give you a second guess with a little hint. For me, this is really about something that I know is on people's minds in this week, in this episode, no less. Maybe even a, a person we're going to talk about that I want to mm. keep everybody. In a, in a healthy, non-panicky headspace. <laughs> um, I don't know, but your voice is starting to freak me out. It makes me feel like uh, I oh, finally understand when my wife tells me that whenever I'm like, hey, hon, I need you to do something for me. She like immediately assumes there's a spider the size of a cat on her shoulder or something. Yeah. And that's, that's the vibe I'm getting. So I genuinely don't know why we're being so well, chill. Okay, well that's that's perfectly fine. Um, if we can, Seth, if you could just take that sharp edge off of your tone right now, I would really appreciate it, just for the audience. Because for me, what I'm trying to do right now for everybody is I, I have to imagine that some people listen to this podcast, you know, late in the evening, maybe maybe even shortly before bed, maybe it's in the morning and you've just woken up, mate, whatever it is. I just know that based off of my mention, seeing Chief's Twitter and kind of just looking around ever since approximately halftime of Monday Night Football last week, Chief's fans have gone to bed and then woken up in a cold sweat, having terrifying nightmares of Derrick Henry consuming everything and everyone they love in a terrible fire. And I just wanted to give everyone the opportunity to get back to a healthier headspace at the very beginning of this show, simply because I know you're all worried. I understand. This Titans team has Ryan Tannehill, 
two aliens to throw the football to, assuming they're healthy, and then just a literal bull, I think, or maybe a freight train. It's kind of up to you back behind Tannehill. So if, if you're having a tough time right now, I understand it. I I kind of forgot that uh, Derrick Henry exists, to be perfectly honest. Um, I feel like that's disrespectful. I, I He's a really you good player. You sound like a man that maybe didn't watch Monday Night Football this week. Fair? Uh, no, no, he, he's a really, really good player. Um, I... I I think it's just been so ingrained in me to not worry about the run game, which I'm not yes! saying is necessarily correct. Yes! I, I'm not we saying <laughs> I'm not saying I'm correct. But I think it's just hard for me to get quite as fired up there. I will say this if the Chiefs allow certain types of things to happen, the thing that I think Derrick Henry does that makes him really dangerous is that he can both grind out those tough yards. But he also he breaks big plays mm-hmm. in a pla- in places other running backs don't, mm-hmm. and that's where you can have him affect the game more than other running backs because those big plays that you don't always get in the run game. It's kind of like um, you know you talk about like a Jamal Charles phenomenon, all those very different players. Jamal Charles as a runner could compete with a lot of passing games because. Yeah. I, I, I thought because of a way of it describing was six it. yards per carry all right. the time. <laughs> I, I thought of a way of describing it with Charles yeah. is if he gained four yards on a run, you were disappointed. Yeah. With other running backs, it's like, oh, that's not bad. But with him, you were like, oh. Whereas like Henry is like, he really can break those big runs. And I would just say if the Chiefs give him opportunities to get some lanes, his breakaway speed, like, you know, he's not going to run a ridiculously fast 40. But I bet you in terms like running like a hundred yard dash, he compete with a lot of dudes in the NFL and win um, because can, that top can speed I, can, is can crazy. I, can I ask, can I ask for a little bit of an alteration to that, to that race? Can we sure. do, does, can, does he trample over corpses? Because no, 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 no. Can we do it? With six minutes left in the fourth quarter. I yeah. want you to play. <laughs> no, it's six minutes left in the fourth. I want you to play Tyreek 54 Ty- minutes, and yeah. then we break out the race. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think Hill and Hardman still beat him, and that might be it. Because, oh, well, and Mahomes, if Henry is chasing him. If if Mahomes is being chased by Vita Via, he has no chance. Someone, <laughs> someone tweeted that if Mahomes had been chased by John Ross at the combine, he would have run a 4.16. <laughs> and it was the funniest thing I've ever read because it's so true. Patrick Mahomes is just a little faster than whoever's chasing him. And it makes me wonder what it looks like if he goes jogging. Like, what if, like, someone on a bike comes on the path? Like, does he just morph into this freakish speed? Anyway, you guys remember the movie The Incredibles? <laughs> I do. You know how, spoiler alert for a movie that came out 15 years ago, maybe? Yeah. I'm just guessing. Great movie. At the At the end of the, a great movie. At the end, um, Dash <laughs> has figured out how to enroll in school sports, even though he is literally superhumanly fast. Yep. And he, he does the, he does this, uh, this race and he gets so far ahead that his family is yelling, other superheroes, of course, yelling from the stands, yelling, no, slow down, slow down. And then he slows all the way down and everyone passes him like, no, 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 run, second place, second place. And then he sprints <laughs> up and wins second place. 
That is what Patrick Mahomes is doing that sort of gear shifting. <laughs> Just depending on who's chasing him. It's yeah. like, oh no, you know, I'm being chased by a quarterback and the cornerback like falls down. Mahomes will slow down by like five yes. miles an hour. Yeah, and sure. it's like, wait, how did that happen? And it's gotten to the point to where to where his trainer, Bobby Strip, who, who does a great job with him with these scramble drills and stuff, but he's like taken to Twitter a few times, like, guys, he's athletic. Like Let's stop talking about him like he's not. I will never stop. I will never stop. I, I know that he's incredibly athletic, and I will never stop pretending that he's not because his running form is just very funny sometimes, and I love that. <laughs> right. Uh, Nate, I wanted to uh, to ask you about kind of how the Chiefs are uh, preparing for Derrick Henry by by mentioning one of my favorite moments from today's pressers mm-hmm. where, where one of our dear colleagues – I don't remember who it was. Sorry, dear colleague. One of our dear colleagues, though – um, asked Steve Spagnoli says, you know, uh, Spags coach, whatever. I don't know. Steve, 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 I know number Steve. I know number 22 is, uh, going to cause you guys can cause a lot of problems. And, and Spags interrupted him and went, uh, sorry, who's number 22. And then everyone took a second and then everyone laughed, realizing that Spags was just straight up pretending not to know who Derek Henry was, which is sort of, we talked about this last episode briefly where you can disrespect your favorite people or, or people who are beyond being disrespected and that's because if Spag said that about any other running back in football, it would be like kind of disrespectful. Today, he was obviously joking because everyone mm-hmm. knows that Derrick Henry is, again, literally runs like a bull. Yeah. And uh, I think our colleague was was Peter, was uh, Peter Sweeney uh, from Arrowhead Pride. And uh, <laughs> look, that's just too... East Coast guys having an East Coast moment. Um, (laughs) But I get the sense that there's so much phrasing uh, that coaches have to do to make it digestible and repeatable for players so that they hear it over and over again so that it becomes Mm -hmm. second nature, so that it becomes uh, applicable on the field. And sometimes it's 22. Sometimes it's you got to stop the engine uh, you know, Tershawn Wharton says, you know, uh, it's his legs. Take out the legs, like yeah, kill uh, the engine. It's th- even more violent. Yeah, it's even more violent. Uh, wrap up. Uh, the way mm-hmm. Spagnolo says wrap up is is great. <laughs> um, but you know, you've heard so many phrases this week that it would be comically funny, like comical, if they gave up like two hundred yards to this man. <laughs> um, which would be understandable given how great he is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also demonstrates the idea of like packing your bag, going to the airport, getting to your hotel room, getting off the bus. No one's comfortable. Mm-hmm. Just, I can't tell our listeners enough. Trying to tackle that man in the fourth quarter is the equivalent of having to be a crazy person. (laughs) Like, you have to be crazy to do it and to do it well. Uh, And so that's sort of the, the, you know, the just the mountain they're going to have to climb if this game is close in the fourth quarter and Derrick Henry is clearly a factor. Um, It also should highlight um, just how wildly impressive the 2019 AFC championship game was because they yeah. because they were so great in the second half that the, the Titans tried and it, it just never worked. Um, 
but this is a different defense than than then. So um, a lot of DBs are going to earn their paycheck. And if there was ever a game for the Chiefs, at least in the early portion of the season, to have all their defensive linemen healthy and effective, well, fellas, you've, you've picked the right week. Because it appears that we may have all healthy defensive linemen who are at least capable of getting in Derrick Henry's way. Mm. Uh, I pulled up the AFC Championship game in 2019 before you even mentioned that because I was curious what that final line was because I remember writing a story in theathletic.com mm-hmm. ahead of this game. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it's still true that you, you cannot and will not beat the Chiefs solely by running the football, even if you do it pretty effectively. In that game, Derrick Henry had 19 carries for 69 yards, which is a pretty nice performance. Uh, 3.6 yards per carry there. His longest his longest run, this is probably the most impressive part of the whole, of the whole group here, was for 13 yards. That is not what that, that is not what he did against Buffalo on Monday Night Football that has, has led to some haunting nightmares. Um, and also now, obviously, there, it's not just A.J. Brown in Tennessee. It's Julio Jones as well, although both mm. of those guys, I think, missed practice today along with Derrick Henry. So some stuff to keep an eye on there that will only be made evident as we, you know, keep an eye on, on everything tomorrow in the next couple of days. But it, it is, the, the Titans are very interesting because they lost to the freaking Jets and then they beat the Bills. <laughs> and they have, I mean, they they had, like I said at the beginning, they've got basically three aliens and then Ryan Tannehill in the middle just has to pilot the spaceship. It's it's a very interesting team offensively. They are. I, uh, I may or may not <clears throat> have taken a bite eating? of hickory bacon jerky. Not oh, anticipating been- you'd be done talking that soon. Bacon um, jerky? Hold on, walk me through that. Because again, I'm on this whole like I'm just trying to eat a oh, lot yeah. less carbs and have some good yeah. snack ideas. Bacon here. jerky. Bacon jerky. Yeah, bacon jerky. It's good. It's exactly what you're thinking. How sweet is it? Because my biggest issue is is it is it just Jack Links here? I'm seeing some hickory smoked thick cut bacon jerky. You you want the maple flavored if you want a little sweetness added. And okay, then, so I don't actually. The, the what oh. really turns me off of jerky sometimes is if it's too sweet. Oh, kind of then, weird. Then yeah, you could get like there's a variety of flavors. Bacon, the bacon jerky itself, unless you get like the maple flavored, is not very sweet. It just tastes okay. like bacon. I mean, I but do jerky. like that. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's literally it's exactly what you're envisioning. It's jerky that's bacon. You want a brand name brand name grind right now? Some generic? What's the? I'm I'm open to I'm, whatever. I'm on here. great value. I, I have five kids, okay, and so I buy brand name stuff. I buy if it says value on it, I'm in. That's fine. <laughs> I, I'm on Walmart's website right now. You and we can let Nate talk while you eat the jerky, and I Google that jerky. Well, I've I've I've, I've finally swallowed. So here's here's the here's the thing with with the way Tennessee is built. They really are a unique team, and a lot of people talk about the fact that, you know, Henry was around before Tannehill came around, and he wasn't nearly as successful as he is now. The Titans so, tried to trade him. Right. And a lot, of people, on Monday. a lot of people point to the idea that, well, that shows that Henry isn't the engine that drives that train. I would also note there's another possibility. Maybe Derrick Henry's better now than he was four years ago. Sure. I mean, th- that's one possibility. It's also... You maybe the running back can be the engine that drives the train if you have an above average quarterback, right? Hmm. Both things can be true, but a, a running back can't be the engine that drives it if they have a crap quarterback, which, well, that doesn't that mean the above average quarterback is kind of the impetus. Sure, but so is Derrick Henry. You take Henry off that team and you put an average running back. I do think their level of success changes significantly. And you see that every time Ryan Tannehill 
is not like throwing the ball against like guys with eight in the box or with play action humming because Tannehill, he can throw the ball. He can sling it with the right situation and he's not under pressure. He can make some really good throws. He kind of he's like a Kirk Cousins in that sense. You know what I mean? I don't. Another I don't guy. Think, who, hey, 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 hey! I don't. I don't think you can say that quarterback's name on this. I podcast. slandered that man last uh, last I mean, episode. We, you we, weren't here, Seth. We, yeah. We're we're way past the point this of is return. What happens when I'm not around? Even just, it's even yeah. I mean, it's how many beefs does one guy need? Ryan before? Tannehill is like if Kirk Cousins was athletic and confident and a good quarterback. <laughs> and 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 science. <laughs> um, and so I I just uh, I, I think with Tannehill, so much of it is dependent on the situation being correct, and Henry allows that situation to be correct, as does the offensive line, as all those things, and that's why like as as good as Tannehill's numbers have been over the last few years, similar with uh, apparently the quarterback who shall not be named from Minnesota. He's had great statistical success, even like in-depth stats over multiple years that make you go, well, whatever. But it's just, there are certain times where you can like, you know, obvious passing downs, that kind of stuff. You can kind of see where it's like, ah, a little more situation dependent kind of guy. And so they're an interesting team in that respect. I kind of hope that they get completely healthy because I want the Chiefs to kind of continue to sharpen themselves as much as possible. Although, you know what? No, not right now. And right now, I just want them to get dubs. They need yeah. to... They need to... <laughs> what they, a pivot. They've had, they've had yeah. one awesome <laughs> half of football, and that's not enough to make me say, oh, no, they're right. Because, like, that... So, and we, we'll talk about this more and more, like, as it goes on. But, like, that team that played the second half against Washington, when Kansas City plays that way... They are, in my opinion, not beatable. Like when the defense is playing well and their offense is playing well, they are not beatable. There's not no other team's best is going to be enough. It's just like they've done it for like a half and like one other quarter this season. Right. <laughs> and so I, I just I want them to collect dubs. So I retract my previous statement. And and they did that against the worst team they've played this year. Like Absolutely. Probably by a lot, depending on how you feel about the Eagles. You think yeah, Washington's better than the Eagles? <laughs> I guess. Oh, Look, I the guess. Eagles. <sighs> the Eagles seem a little frisky to me. I thought that just might be because I'm a, a little bit yeah. bullish on Jalen Hurts. I don't know. It, it's 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 a tough. It's a tough. I mean, we're splitting uh, awful hairs here. We're, but, we're splitting turds here. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, Chris Jones. I, I just think there were turnovers in the. Philadelphia game that could have been had that the Chiefs mm. for whatever reason didn't get that they didn't get mm-hmm. in Washington and I would also say too that like um, Washington made we talked about this in the last episode Josh but Washington made some field goal decisions that hey wisely the Eagles were like we'll go for it on fourth down and just right. you know sort of see where it is uh, or at least they did it they were more aggressive so I would really compare those two teams similarly Um Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the, the Chiefs' best win was against the Cleveland Browns. And have you seen their roster before tonight's game? We're recording mm-hmm. this on Thursday afternoon. <sighs> wow, mm-hmm. man. That team is literally broken on offense. Um, mm-hmm. Mostly based on body parts, not like systematically <laughs> or anything of that nature. Um, so, yeah. So, if they, you know, this is kind of saying an obvious point. But, like, if they win Sunday, it would 
qualifies the best win of the season based on record, based on timing, based on mm-hmm. the opponent beating a team that just drubbed you. It's man, this season is so weird. I just want to say that so weird. But that's uh, where we are. <laughs> I <laughs> I'm, I'm screwing things up by being here. No, I can tell. It, but I mean, no, that's uh, oh, by the way. Hi, everyone. Sorry, I missed the last few. I'm sure Nate and Josh had a very professional podcast. Very professional. I mean, my, if again, if your like, name is not Kirk Cousins, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I tweeted this out. And so, I mean, it's true. Like having you here, Seth, me, have, not having you here does mean 33% more of me and Nate. And that's such a such a blessed number for this podcast that I do think there's something there. Mm. Um, I just, I, sorry, I, I dropped the ball cause I was pulling up the Titans injury report for today to see if it was out. And it is AJ Brown has not practiced either Wednesday or today. Um, Taylor Lewan is, it seems unlikely to play. Um, he, he has not practiced either of these days. I, I didn't actually see his con- apparent concussion. He's in the concussion protocol. Um, because I was, uh, sitting in my car that wouldn't start waiting for AAA trying to figure out to get them there on Monday night. It was a whole ordeal. Uh, which is why I missed the beginning of that game. And Derek Henry uh, did not practice either of his last two days, but he's listed as not injury-related rest. Um, and Julio oh, Jones. Tired. He, <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> Holy uh, crap, I got tired watching him. Julio Jones was a limited participant today after not practicing yesterday. So there's there's your most um, most important injury updates. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hasn't their defense been just atrocious all year? Like their secondary? Uh, yes. Cause I'm, I, so what I saw against the Bills is not like atypical. No. No. Did no, you not, look, not look, great, I, Bob. I'll, I'll tell you what was even more egregious because it was it was it was it was early, ladies and gentlemen. It was September. It was sunny outside and very hot. And the Arizona Cardinals, who had, had no confidence in this season, they went up and down the field on those boys, and yeah. it was it was. It was the most stunning surprise of opening day, just because I thought that was, those were two teams that were similarly comparable contenders, full fledged contenders, but like probably not going to make it to like championship game or more. Mm. Um, and then I don't care if they put all the secondary on, on DeAndre Hopkins; it it did not matter. It did not matter. So if we want to simplify this game. Uh, the moment the Buffalo Bills went forward on fourth and fourth and one mm-hmm. inside the five yard line, and the moment they didn't get it, my father, Michael Taylor, called me and was like, "Okay, that's good for us, right? Because Buffalo <laughs> has now lost two games. There's still like a slight chance of the Chiefs mm-hmm. catching Buffalo." And I was like, "Yes, that's true." And he was like. They can't cover anyone. And I said, <laughs> right, Dad. And can the Chiefs tackle Derrick Henry? And then he said, yeah. <laughs> so, What's the over-under in this game? Who will do a better job? Will the Titans cover the Chiefs receivers? Which could include more Josh Gordon, of course. Or will the Chiefs do a better job gang tackling Derrick Henry for all four quarters, knowing that the fourth quarter is the the hardest time to do such. I want to pivot into that straight into something that Seth wrote about uh, with, with a couple of the, uh, the new rotations from last week. But before we do that, I'm just sort of curious, are are we, cause it sounds like we are, we didn't, you know, if people ever think we have like actual content based show meetings before the show starts, you're solely you'd be solely disappointed. We we talk before the show. It's never about the show. Um, are we all on the same page of essentially both offenses are gonna get theirs at least a good portion of the time and it'll come down to whichever defense is out of character out of character illy better at, at their job? Is that is that where we're all at right now? I, I think so. I think I think turnovers are going to play a, a key role. I mean, mm. it's been Great. it's it's been a storyline all season for the Chiefs in a way that it just hasn't been in previous years because the Chiefs have always been a team in the plus turnover margin. But I think probably whoever wins this game, it's 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 a prerequisite, right? It's a requirement to to get a turnover or two um, mm. to see if that gives you. Uh, 
that much more of a chance to build your lead or to come back. Uh, unless you're playing, I want to say his name wrong so bad. Unless you're playing <laughs> Jalen Hurts or Taylor Heineke. You did it. I just think you should expect shootouts from here on out. Yeah. I, well, man, I mean, Jalen Hurts, like, I mean, he, he threw up, like, they had like a billion yards. A billion yards. But I would just, like, I keep telling people, go back and watch that game and count the number of times that he just took the snap and immediately threw the ball to the sideline <laughs> and they gained like 15 <laughs> yards. Or to a, to a guy going across the line of scrimmage to the sideline. And it was like 300 of his yards. So people are like, oh, he played really well. I was like, well, kind of. But anyway, I, I have a prediction for this game and one half of football is got me just just drunk with optimism, mm. which is always stupid. Um, Dare to dream, Seth. <laughs> I, I think unless the Chiefs turn the ball over two or three times, I think Tennessee's going to need to score 40 to win this game. Um, the Chiefs offense looks really good, and we finally saw against Washington like what happens when they don't turn the ball over. Because mm-hmm. like even with the Bills... Even with the Bills, you had drives that should have ended in points and didn't. Yep. Because of self-inflicted wounds and drops. And, like, and, and, and hey, the Bills, they earned that win. They outplayed the Chiefs in every phase of the game. There's a reason everyone was yeah, totally all accurate, for sure, right? Um, I don't think it's a coincidence the Bills came out flat the next week because that was their Super Bowl so far. Like, and and it should be right. The Chiefs were they are the the not the Patriots because the Bills go back decades with the Patriots, but like they are they're the guy. And they even admitted it, you know, before the games. Like, this is the team we're trying to beat. Like, everything we're doing is to beat these guys, and they did so good on them. But the Chiefs' offense, it remains unless they get in their own way, they are unstoppable. There's not a team that has really done a good job stopping them. And I just, the, the turnovers can't continue forever, right? Maybe? You would think. I, yeah, one would, one would imagine. But that one who imagines may not have watched the 2021 Kansas City Chiefs. Like, it's gotten to the point now where, like, I'm not, I'm, like, not surprised when dudes are dropping the ball or fumbling. I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. Like, I'm getting, like, nervous in those moments. So, we'll we'll see. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I would love to talk about Rashad Fenton and Juan Thornhill if that's the direction we're going. Or if we're going to talk about the fire-breathing dragon. I didn't know what direction you were going, Josh. No, let's. I, I want to stick with the defense. But first, I, I do have all of the over-unders from just this week of NFL games here. And I'd like you guys to you guys just stop me whenever you think we've found uh, Chiefs-Titans, okay? Gotcha. 42 and a half, 44, 47 and a half, 47, 49, 50 and a half, 42 and a half, 47 and a half, 48 and a half, Keep going. 43, 46 and a half, 40, 57 and a half. Ah! There it is. <laughs> wow. One of these things does not belong here. I mean, it is a stratosphere. It is, it is a touchdown and a field goal above the second highest line of the week. <laughs> that is that. <clears throat> excuse me. That is that is mind-boggling and not super surprising. <laughs> it is kind of funny though when you think about it, because prior to the Monday Night Football game, um, was the uh, w- w- was the Titans' offense con- considered that good? 
I think eh, I think eh, middle no, pack. I don't necessarily think that it was. I I think that it was considered full of excellent players, but I, I do think that that game had to change it a decent amount. Yeah, and, right. And it's fascinating too. Like again, where do you catch these teams at in your schedule, especially now yeah. that we're in week seven? Um, as we said before, the Chiefs caught the Browns at their mint condition. Uh, they will play the Denver Broncos. And by the way, you should kind of hope Cleveland wins that game. Um, mm-hmm. They're playing the Denver Broncos in their worst physical condition. You know, as Seth said earlier, uh, Buffalo was peaking at its most efficient manner against Kansas City. And so it was reasonable to have a dip. But this is where I always tell people, like, the difference between championship teams who've done it before and teams that are on the precipice appear to be ready to take that next step. Like those teams would, would win both of those games. Um, and that was sort of the test I had for Buffalo. It's like, okay, um, go win both road games and really show how much you are ready to sort of take over the conference. Um, it'd be nice for the chiefs. If the Titans played them the way they played the jets, which was like disinterested on the road and like the Jets really, really needed that game. The Jets yeah, kind of played out of their mind for their, you know, first year head coach. So um, now the Titans are a team that I would assume is more fortified in their own abilities. They could say, hey, we got boat raced on opening day. We're further and further away from that. We did have some injuries. We did not take our opponent legitimately against the Jets. Those are our two losses. Like, all right, let's go. Let's go win the division now in the horrid AFC South. Um, but because of what Derrick Henry did on Monday night, and because it is a short week, it will be fascinating to know if the Titans can play at a high, high level the entire game, or if there's going to be dips in their play that the Chiefs can sort of take advantage from as the Chiefs, we all three assume, uh, are kind of you know rising out of a weird six-game stretch where, at least for... The second half, uh, that's their best football of the season, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So here's a fun fact about the the Titans: they um, their offensive DVOA, which for those who haven't heard before, it's essentially a statistic that measures how good they are at moving the ball. Right, takes into account down and distance, that sort of thing. So it's a much better measurement than just pure yards per carry or yards per attempt or even points per game. Right, mm-hmm. and it also takes into account strength of opponent. The Titans are offensive DOA. They are 14th in the league. And that's after a win over Buffalo, who because of how strong Buffalo's defensive DVOA was, yeah. that, that really propelled them. Before that game, they would have been like much lower. And so it's just interesting to me that people are looking at the Titans and saying, yeah, you know who's going to have a shootout? Uh, Derrick Henry or Ryan <laughs> Tannehill. And maybe it's not like the Titans have never won shootouts. I mean... They beat the Chiefs in a really, really wild, weird shootout of a game with Mahomes playing really well in 2019. Of mm. course, it required... Go back and watch. If, if you ever think that Derrick Henry rushing for a bunch of yards was like the catalyst for that game with them winning, go back and watch the final two minutes. And remember that that was one of the weirdest games. That That's like what got us started even more so on like this only weird game shtick, mm-hmm. to be accurate. Because the things that happened on field goals for that game, to be, they basically had a tell 
with the special teams that they'd figured out in advance. Oh, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. That, and, that allowed them to it, block one kick, make remember, another one. Yeah. Right. And remember, Blake Bell was dealing with the ankle injury that they threw to on third down. <laughs> I remember <laughs> that, Blake. Which, so, by the way, Andy Reid acknowledged it this week, and I was like, wow, no one asked you this, Coach. But even Andy Reid was like, yeah, man, that was bad. That was that was a mistake. <laughs> it's just it's just interesting to me that how quickly things turn into all of this is going to be a shootout. Um, but I mean, it might be. I, it's not any sort of disrespect to the Titans. I, I think they're a good team, but it's just interesting to see this expectation of a shootout. I just if I were the Titans, like you said, they got boat raced in Week One, and since that time. I mean, I suppose the uh, the Bills really love to spread spread their offense out the way that the Cardinals do, mm. and so maybe they found better ways to counteract that. But I'm just I, I I feel as though the Chiefs could do some really bad things to that secondary. Um, let's let's go let's go with the 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 Chiefs defense first here in, in terms of the the pieces that you've written so far, Seth, cool. because you went and took a closer look at both Rashad Fenton and Juan Thornhill. Mm-hmm. Um, we can we can start with your film review, and then we can talk a little bit about what Spags had to say about both of those guys today. Because I thought I'll be curious to see what you thought of that, Nate. I'll I'll let you follow Seth up with that because I think I think something interesting happened there. Um, but you, you took a closer look at both Fenton and Thornhill. They both got 100% of the snaps in this game. Yep. Obviously, Thornhill becoming the the number two safety beside Tyron Matthew and, and jumping over Dan Sorensen. And then Fenton, really mostly, I think I would say, getting snaps from Mike Hughes, who still played some. Um, I think DeAndre Baker barely played. But uh, obviously, Traverius Ward injured as well, hopefully back this week. Where are you at right now on, uh, on Fenton and Thornhill? What did you see when you broke it down? All pros, baby. No, I'm sorry. Hall um, <laughs> of Famers tomorrow. Yeah, of fame. um, it was it was really fun watching both of them because both of them addressed specific things that have been problematic for the defense. Um, it's worth noting Fenton played a lot of snaps against the Bills too, so it's not like he's like the end all be all. But I would just say, remember after the Bills game when we were like, did anyone play well? And we were like, you know what, Rashad Fenton did. Yep. Like, and he was it against mm-hmm. the Bills. It was like there we got Fenton. Uh, you know, the, the uniforms looked all right, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> Harrison so, Butker made all his kicks. Yeah, yep. he did. You know what? Yep, we did mention, honorary mention to Butker. Um, the the thing with Fenton, and, and we'll, we can talk about each of them. So I, I charted every snap for, for Fenton, and I looked at every snap for Thornhill and wrote about him on the Chief of the North newsletter where you can still subscribe at bit.ly slash Seth really hates money, which that deal might be going away sometime soon, so you might want to lock that in. Anyway. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm considering it. I'm considering lead. it. We're closing in on the point to where that's can, gonna gonna become a little more of a bigger gig for me. So yeah, we'll just do just do that, and then you can buy name brand jerky. Ooh, that would be oh, whoa! Getting <laughs> finally, I finally found the way to motivate you to raise your prices. <laughs> name brand jerky. Seth, pay off your student loans. Yeah, but this name brand jerky. Also, also, if you subscribe to the newsletter and the price goes up, it will not go up for you. That Correct. I want to make that clear. It's if not going to hike on price, everybody. Yes. If you the lock in that price in. now, that the, those of you that have already subscribed, it's going to stay the same forever. That's my promise as long to as you. And, as long as you stay subscribed. I mean, if they yep. unsubscribe, I mean, who's yeah. to say? Yeah, if you unsubscribe, you can't resubscribe for the same price. That's ridiculous. Absolutely not. Come on. 
Uh, actually, really probably if you DM'd me, I'd probably be like, yeah, you made Stop it. Seth, stop that. giving your stuff away for free. <laughs> anyway. I so, worked in terrestrial radio as well, and, I, and I'm telling you to stop giving your stuff away for free. We literally <laughs> broadcast ours over airwaves. Which is, it's ironic. So with Fenton, you know, I looked at success, fails, neutral snaps, and coverage. And here's what I would say, the, the, the stuff that he added. We could go into the specific numbers, but he isn't an elite athlete, but he's got decent change of direction. He's got good feet. He doesn't take a lot of bad steps. He plays physical and he's just a pest. He's hard for, for receivers to shake and he's got just enough athleticism to generally stick with them down the field. If he doesn't get beat at the line, he had a couple of situations with, with McLaurin where he was even, and then he wasn't because that's just not how he plays. Right. But he's able to generally pester guys, and he rarely, if ever, takes a bad step or anything like that. And so he adds a sense of not screwing up to the secondary. And I, that maybe seems like it's not enough of a compliment. But he, he, he makes good positive plays, contests the ball really well, and he's where he's supposed to be. And so I, I showed a few examples of, of just really simple, kind of just some zone looks where he's just doing his thing, right? Just zone coverage. It, you'd barely track it as a successful coverage because he's just doing what he's supposed to do. But with what they've had going on so far this year, just having a guy not blowing coverages is a big deal. And then you add a guy who's pretty sticky in man coverage, a guy who tackles well, contests pass as well. He's just, he's an above average NFL cornerback who does his job. And this secondary desperately needed guys who do their jobs. And so that, that what he did is he removed a problem spot because Mike Hughes has been getting picked on, right? And with terms of blown coverages, that's been a problem. So you, you remove a weak spot there and defense is as much about avoiding weaknesses as having strengths. And that's why I'm, I'm hopeful that Fenton stays on the field a ton. Whether he should start over Ward, I don't know. Ward's played pretty competently his whole career. Um, but if you get it to the point to where it's Sneed, Fenton, and Ward, I'm comfortable with that trio. Sorry, I was hoping Nate might just pick it up because the dog next door is having an absolute episode. <laughs> casually muting my microphone just sitting here i'm yeah. with you on that trio by the way i'm i yes. i feel good about that nate what did you think whenever you saw that fenton was getting the start against washington and then over the course of of the game plus what, what seth just broke down yeah in, in terms of what seth just said I, I think that will be the plan moving forward um because what what makes it even more intriguing i think and, and you probably know this too fellas is um if Traverius Ward comes back and he's what we assume to be as healthy as he can be at this point in the season from a quad injury and he's effective, then you can really uh, move two corners around based on whatever the matchup is on the perimeter of the field. So oh, yeah. uh, Fitton has, you know, as I said back in training camp, I got no concerns about Rashad Fitton. Rashad Fitton uh, actually adds a level of trust to the defense, in my opinion. And, and again, this was way back in camp when I was like, I don't know why Rashad Fitton isn't getting more reps, but maybe it's because the coaching staff, much like I do, were just like, hey, we trust him. We kind of know where he is. He played very well in the postseason, too, when, when given his opportunity. So he can play in the slot or as the nickel if need to. Obviously, Snead has done both so far. Um, and so if they want to give Snead more opportunities on the perimeter based on his length, that's fine. If they want to um, see what the matchup is from the opposing offense, that's that's totally fine too. 
Um, but I, I think this is probably the trio moving forward. You can give a little bit more snaps to to DeAndre Baker if you want to limit the exposure of Mike Hughes. Um, but yeah, I think Rashad Fitton's in a in a stretch right now where he's just he's just in a hot streak, and you want that to last as much as you can. Um, and this will be an interesting test because just when AJ Brown goes across the field, I don't know what you do. Like it, it is very similar to Travis Kelsey in, in a, in a lot of ways where it's just like, well, he's big, he's strong. He's incredibly fast yards after contact yards after reception. It's just mm-hmm. like, uh, like just, and by the way, now add some play action element to it. Uh, get the linebackers to be solely focused on, you know, Derrick Henry. So this, you know, if Rashad Fenton plays really, really well in this game with whatever snaps are going to be given to Javarius Ward, because I don't think he played his normal amount coming back in his first game. Um, I think they'll try to manage him along the same way they've done with Frank Clark and Willie Gay. Uh, then, yeah, then this secondary, as I sort of boldly predicted a few weeks ago, as I sort of said, like, don't care about the pass rush anymore. It is what it is. It's already gone. It's never coming back. What I thought I watched in June, smoke and mirrors, kids. Um, <laughs> the, the only way the Stevens can really improve is through their linebackers, most notably Nick Bolton and Willie Gay, and their secondary um, because of of what Seth sort of showed and the idea that, like, hey, there's not multiple openings for, again, Take a deep breath. Taylor Heineke to move the ball down the field 20 yards past the line of scrimmage. Right. And that's that's the more subtle stuff when you get to Thornhill especially. And I suppose that's probably what we'll talk about next. Seth, why don't you talk to me about Juan Thornhill, his performance <laughs> in this game, what you saw from him on tape, and what he can offer to the defense going forward. <laughs> you know, you say I'm that's... Joshua a- Briscoe. Time's ours podcast. You know, you say that sarcastically, but it sounds exactly like what our segments on 810 are like. So I don't know, man. I'm I'm not being sarcastic. I'm just doing an impression of a professional broadcaster. (laughs) So in a way, I complimented you. You, uh, You're so professional. Um, That's not not really my brand. (laughs) This is is home right here. Yes, this this is where we live. Um, That's right. So uh, with Thornhill, it's a little tougher because you can't just uh, chart wins and losses in coverage. Fenton had a, a quantifiably good game because you can chart the wins and losses. Like, oh, only four real obvious losses, which is not bad for a corner. Um, that's an incredibly hard position to play. Um, with safety, with Thornhill, it's a little less about charting wins and losses and looking more at what does and almost more importantly with a safety, and this is where it gets tough. It's hard to not lose people. What doesn't happen? So an easy example would be one of the, the the very first play that I talk about with Thornhill is just a simple throw to the flat with a tight end coming across the line of scrimmage that gains three yards for the for the I almost called them by their old name by the football team. Woo! I kind of like Washington football team. It's funny. It's really sticking with me at this point. I yeah, at this it. point, like I'm kind of wondering why all teams don't do it. The Kansas City football team. No, I no, 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 no. Yeah, that that I was gonna say that 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 gives me more you know a worldly soccer club um, vibes. Yeah. Here, oh. here's here's my one opinion. They cannot change their name to something more fearsome, celebrated, unique, regional, 
until they actually get good. They need to have a winning record yeah. before, they, before they change then. their name again. Because then, the Washington football team create a jersey, you know, homecoming beatdown opponent. It just, it just looks nice. Every time I rewatch this game on, on the All-22, I'm like... It's really like they just created a team on Madden and just it threw is, them into the exactly, league. It is exactly like that. Well, they they create countless things just out of thin air, like mm. you know, Hall of Fame tributes to legendary deceased players that they obviously <laughs> threw together over the course of two days. Two days. I'm, I'm mad about that. And like they talk about us. They talk about us. No, oh, that, uh, that, that made me genuinely upset because because Sean Taylor deserved better than that. Oh, of but course. It, but that that's so anyway, Thornhill. Um, so the the play that 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 we're talking about here, it's just a three yard gain. It doesn't look like anything special until you really go back and watch the first you know five weeks of Chiefs play, six weeks of Chiefs play, and see how many of these quick little perimeter throws or quick dump offs to tight ends coming back across the line of scrimmage or rub routes or pick plays, however you want to say them. When you look at how successful they were, that uh, that you see this juxtaposition between watching with Thornhill out there and with Sorensen out there. And it's one of those examples of a half-second difference in closing speed for a safety is an eternity. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing with him is some of the plays that didn't happen because of closing speed. There was a third down that everyone kind of noticed more so where he got into the, the backfield and... Um, they, they ended up having, I think they kicked a field goal or something, um, because they had a multiple yard loss. It was another quick sideline throw, like a wide receiver screen. And, and, and Thornhill was there, right? He didn't, he technically made the tackle. It almost looked like he missed, but it's only because Heineke made such a bad throw, um, that it like jumped the receiver out of Thornhill's way. Um, so you, you notice that you see with deeper routes, um, passing lanes, not being as open. And so quarterbacks on a couple of shot plays, and I left one for an example, the quarterback looking down the field on a shot play, seeing, hey, it's not there. He didn't bite on the fake. That's something Sorensen struggled with. And even less like quantifiable, but very, very real, is how often they were able to have him as the deep safety, which meant Tyron Matthew was in the intermediate or shallow areas of the field where he's by far the best version of himself and can help the Chiefs in other ways that they've struggled this year. And so even just by existing, as dumb as that sounds, he was able to improve the defense as a whole. By I don't think it's any coincidence that that was, I think that was Tyron Matthews' best game. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Hmm. Um, this is also, if anyone listening to any of that was having a hard time visualizing any of these various things, it's another, I, I, I just opened it back up again the story i mean it's another reason to to go actually watch along on this or if you want to pause the podcast and then read through this and then pick it up again a a lot of the things that seth is detailing at least for me make a lot more sense when i can see them Mm. um this is not i know you're just talking about thornhill but there's one specific play with, with with rashad fenton just like dancing around in a zone yep that is the first time i watched it i watched it like five or six times yeah because this isn't quite true but he kind he's kind of covering three dudes absolutely and that's the point of zone coverage and it's hard to describe what that looks like because what zone coverage well done creates is you've got these three guys that are pretty much all covered but there might be a window there for a split second and that's why like Mahomes dices up zone coverage because he sees where it's going to be and you know he's a mutant 
But no, it's kind of it's it, every time you watch that play. The reason I chose that one is because the same thing happened to me the first time I watched it. I was watching. I was like, and I kept noticing something new every time. I was like, wow, he really effectively took away that that uh, that that flat route. Well, wait, there was also a pocket shot there between him. and the, Wait a minute, here's a crosser coming. And yeah, like, he, right. He he he, do, he almost never. It looks like he he takes at most like three steps in a yeah. direction before reevaluating. And a couple one time he he does go one direction for maybe eight or nine steps, but it's like there's a hesitation every time, but like a purposeful one. It just. Uh-huh. It's really, it's really interesting. You should go, uh, you should go read Seth's work. I'll yeah, say. You, sh- you should subscribe, people. But anyway, so with Thornhill, it really is the there's the more intangible thing. And I would just say this: Thornhill improves the free safety position by himself, but he also changes the way the Chiefs call the free safety position, mm. and that makes them better. It makes Tyron Matthew better. Tyron Matthew is not as impactful a player when he's playing 25 yards off the line of scrimmage mm. in a cover two constantly or he's the single high safety. That's not where he's at his absolute best as a game changer. He's at his best closer to the line of scrimmage, whether it's as a robber or helping the run defense because you got one more guy who's using doing the right run fit. That stuff matters. And you don't get it as much with Sorensen on the field because they can't call the same stuff. So it's more than just Thornhill being a better player than Sorensen. Him being a different player than Sorensen makes the Chiefs defense overall better. Between him and Fenton, their impact is more than, like, it's not like the same, like, people are like, well, neither of them is like a superstar. It's not the same as if you added a superstar at either position. But their impact is larger than just the individual player. If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, what did you think whenever Spags talked about those guys today, Nate? Anything you'd add to any of that for the Chiefs going forward? Um, I, I put it on Twitter earlier. This is as far as criticism goes with Steve Spagnuolo. But he said that Dan Sorensen was in a little bit, quote, a little bit of a slump. So mm-hmm. uh, this is here for the duration uh, is what I take from that. Um, I think that. Much of what you guys have mentioned before, Fenton is capable of doing everything at a competent level, um, which just opens up more for Steve Spagnuolo to do, especially in terms of not necessarily just disguising what the look will be, but obviously trusting that, hey, if I put you in a in an island, like you you won't be Daniel Sorensen crisp. So uh, I, I think the next step, and this is where it gets important, uh, is that Chris Jones should play to some degree on Sunday with Frank Clark and not against a heavy option RPO offense mm. in Baltimore that just, you know, made Chris Jones essentially a statue. Um, Steve Spagnuolo also mentioned that maybe there's a chance that Chris Jones slides inside. Um, But I would really put a lot of the onus because of the upgrades in the secondary so far. Um, Because you've played all the young athletic linebackers that you have at your disposal. Uh, It would be nice if the Chiefs defensive line played particularly well. And in addition to Mike Dana and Tershawn Warden, like collectively because I don't feel like they've done that all season 
One last thing on the defense, because I, I want to spend a little bit of time on the offensive side, but um, you mentioned the young linebackers. You also tweeted out that Anthony Hitchens had his right arm in a sling during mm-hmm. the portion of practice today. He has not practiced so far this week. Neither has Michael Burton, the fullback, Tyreek Hill, uh, or Joe Tooney. Obviously, Jody Fortson hasn't either. He's still on the active roster. Though I'm, I'm guessing they're waiting till the end of the week to make that move so they can pick a position that they want to add someone else at, potentially linebacker. Uh, Tooney didn't practice last week either and, and yes. didn't play, obviously. Same for Hill. I, I think he may have been a limited participant at some point. But um, but it, but Hitchens was ruled out early in the game last week, and we got a lot of green dot talk today as well. Also, Spags, I didn't tweet this out because I don't it, – it could have easily been the, a slip of the tongue. But Spags did say the phrase, we'll miss him, I believe, uh, about Anthony Hitchens when talking about the linebackers for this week. Yes. So it, it, it seems – very unlikely that that he would play, right? Yes. Um, now something. I mean, when your arms in a sling, it's just it's unfortunate. Uh, by the way, if you're scorekeeping at home, uh, the Chiefs said that he had an elbow injury mm-hmm. uh, during Sunday's game. Uh, he did not return. Made total sense because based on video, he seemed to be nursing his right elbow. Um, yesterday, Andy Reid said that he that Anthony Hitchens missed. Wednesday's practice with a tricep contusion. And on Thursday, his entire right arm was in a sling. So, I don't know how it really works, but uh, it's gotten what appears to be worse each day since Sunday's game against Washington. So, I, I can't anticipate Anthony Hitchens being a part of the game against Tennessee. I think the further question that the Chiefs are evaluating as we speak is, um, will he just miss Sunday's game or in the current NFL that we live within, um, should we put him on the shelf as a short-term injured reserve mm-hmm. candidate for three weeks? Um, and they've done this with Clyde Edwards-Alaire, of course, to give him plenty of time to return healthy. That was sort of the the thought process there. Uh, they have not chosen to do that with Chris Jones because he's missed two games. Um, if he misses Sunday, then you have a level to criticize. You have a reason to criticize the Chiefs training staff and decision makers on that. With Anthony Hitches, I'm not sure how reasonable it is to ask a guy with his arm in a sling to start tackling people again in less than three weeks, if that makes sense. And more importantly, to tackle someone who's not a person, but is in fact uh, a bull, as I will continue to stick with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tough, so, tough so, assignment there. So, yeah, it's a lot to ask. So I would say remove Anthony Hitchens from the game plan for, for this week. It'll be uh, an interesting thing seeing them adapt to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and they've said you have to declare. Spag said today you have to declare three potential signal callers. I'm guessing they'll they'll give them all three to the to the top three linebackers. Sounds like Neiman will probably handle most of that. But but like there was a a, a snap at least or before Hitchens got hurt, where Bolton and Gay were the two linebackers on the field last week. So at least at least one of those guys will have to have one of those helmets, and they have to literally switch helmets because you only have one green dot on the field at a time. Got a little uh, little green dot education today, which was. Which was a, a nice uh, a nice touch. Yeah. Uh, let's go offense here um, because we have spent the majority of this podcast this year talking about the Chiefs' defense, which I don't feel bad about necessarily, but it isn't as fun as the offense is. Um, again, the the turnovers are pretty clearly the thing. 
Um, and I just also looked at the clock, Seth, realizing that you wanted to be done by now. But I'm going to ask you to talk about uh, your article <laughs> in, in, in just a second. So there's your there's your thing to stick around from. But but anything, uh, Nate, I've got one thing on the offense that I want to talk about. I want to give you a chance to talk about what you want to talk about. And then, Seth, we can, we can have you close us down with your fire-breathing dragon talk. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure if this is the same thing that, that you're going to mention, Josh or Seth, but like, um, in terms of explaining how this def- excuse me, how this offense is operating right now, um, I just looked up some stats. It kind of is the framework of my next story that's going to be in the athletic. It will probably be out by the time you hear this. Um, the Chiefs are, have been ruthless on third down when they don't mm. turn the ball over. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to just read these stats and just let the stats speak for themselves. The Chiefs have had 68 plays on third down, um, which is not the most in the league, by the way, which tells you like how good they are in general. For instance, the Tennessee Titans, who run the ball a lot, they've had 80 attempts on third down so far. So in 68 attempts for the Chiefs, uh, they've converted 60% of the time. Um, Good Lord. 41 first downs on 68. Well, I should say 41 first downs and or touchdowns in 68 plays where that's all the defense is trying to get to. We just want to get to third down. We just want to get off the field. (laughs) And the Chiefs are converting at a league leading rate that feels wholly unsustainable. But at least for six weeks of the season, it is at a historic rate. Um the next best team, you want to guess what their percentage is, fellas? Tell me the Chiefs' percentage again. 60.3%. 60, 60. Uh, I've, I've continued. To, I, I've messed up this guessing game many times, so I'm going to go ahead and say the second closest team is probably like, I mean, I'm going to say, I'm going to say 60.9%. <laughs> Seth? Uh, I, I mean, even converting 50% of your third downs is excellent. So Correct. So I guess 50%. Ding, 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 sir. The Buffalo Bills, with 82 third down attempts, have converted 41% or 41 times uh, for 50%. So um, let's just say it, fellas. The Chiefs' offense is better than the Buffalo Bills' offense. Let's just say it. Let's Let's just say it right now, even though, you know. Offenses don't technically play one another. But right. um, the Chiefs offense, when they don't turn the ball over, is just lighting people up. And part of that is um, Patrick Mahomes has two guys to target on third down. Their names being Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. And no team has yet to figure out how to really stop them at a high level. So, um this game, if you want to keep the ball out of Derrick Henry's hands, like I'm talking not super informed, then keep converting on third down. Yeah. Uh, my quick thing is on the offensive line, people saw obviously that Mike Rimmers got the start on Sunday. Um, several signs that he will be starting this Sunday as well. The first one is that he talked to us yesterday, which is mm-hmm. not something that a random backup would do, uh, or even a guy just after one quick start. He mentioned that, that he was entering year 10 and they got the wheels turning for me yesterday. I, I went and checked on this to make sure it was right, and it is. It's just a fun, bonkers stat. Orlando Brown Jr. is in year four. Joe Tooney is in year six. Obviously, Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith are rookies. So in terms of, of accrued full seasons of experience, 
Mike Rimmers entered this year with nine years of NFL experience. The rest of the offensive line entered with a total of eight years of NFL experience, which just cannot happen very often, I would have to imagine. Um, and, and is kind of a funny little uh, quirk in the numbers that shows the dichotomy of, of what this offensive line is right now. Um, but also, I got to ask Biennemi today a, about having Rimmers there. And it, to me, sounds very much like a purposeful and and definitely, at least for now, permanent change. Biennemi talked about how it'll benefit Trey Smith, how Rimmers can do the job there and will help communicate. And, and makes me think that was something that maybe wasn't ideal with Niang. And Biennemi said it'll be good for Niang to sit back and watch, watch Rimmers. And I would assume also, to some extent, uh, Orlando Brown Jr. do that job. I know that it, it would have been better for the long haul for the Chiefs to um, end up having a, a fully young left th- uh, right three guys there um, in terms of having just three rookies all playing side by side by side. But ultimately, I think they must trust Remmers in that spot. I think so. I think they've always trusted Remmers, and, and they should. He played pretty well last season, and then that got overshadowed by a horrific Super Bowl appearance. Yep. Remmers' competence is a reason why I didn't expect him to win. I didn't expect Niang to win a starting job. Mm-hmm. Even though I think you can see when Niang plays, you can see the higher level of athleticism there, mm-hmm. the, the, the increased bendiness, for lack of a better term. But Niang, and I don't think, here's something that's interesting to me, and this is where it becomes so hard to keep a competent veteran off the field. I don't think Niang was bad. I think he was inconsistent and he had a few bad games like, or bad snaps. I would say, I mean, it was, it wasn't, he, he was, he was the weak link on the line. Hmm. Um, but he wasn't necessarily playing bad. I think it's just tough when, um, Smith and especially Creed Humphrey, who I would argue, I mean, Tooney makes it tough, but I'd argue Humphrey might have, he might be the guy who's played the best along the line of everyone. Um, Tooney makes that tough because he's a machine. Yeah, yeah. And and one argument there, Seth, is in terms of a rookie having to understand what each team is putting on tape and not putting on tape and adjusting to that and understanding, too, and it it may help create in this aspect. By the way, guys, um, no one's blitzing the Chiefs anymore. Yep, it's just over. It's a statistical phenomenon. Um, Would you like to know how many drop back passes Patrick Mahomes has had this year? Sure. It's 247. Okay. The opponents, all six of them combined, have blitzed less than 13% of those dropbacks. Good. It leads, Lord. It leads the league in the lead. Patrick Mahomes is the least blitzed quarterback by a mile. <laughs> well, and that's, I mean, because it just doesn't work. Right. And it is kind of funny, like, what a copycat league it is and how they, they try to, like, even catch on to narratives almost. It's like, well, the way to beat him is by to not blitz him. No, a way to be less sure of being beat is to not blitz him. Mm. If you blitz him, it's pretty much over. Yes. Um, most of the time. Unless, again, you're Bob Sutton with the Falcons with nothing to lose. <laughs> <in a weird game. laughs> and dudes are playing for jobs. Oh, yep, and, and you are calling plays that you've literally never called before. <laughs> I'll never forget talking to a couple of guys who are much smarter than I'm. They're like, I've never even seen some of those blitzes. Like, and I mean, like, what do you mean? Like this year? They're like, no, like ever at any level of football. Like, I don't know what they were doing. But anyway... Uh, and so they, they don't get blitz much. And so basically they understand that 
they need to have the strongest possible pass protecting group. Remmers right now is a better pass protecting tackle than Niang. Yes. Might not be quite as good a run blocker. Mm-hmm. Um, Niang, Niang's been a very strong run blocker on a lot of snaps. But he is just more consistent snap by snap. And they also, I think, probably, you, you mentioned they talked about Trey Smith. I think they recognize that they've got a potential star tandem or mm. trio on the interior. Um, and so you do everything you can develop that. Some of Niang's stuff, in my opinion, is more mental than physical. And I think he will benefit from the fact that he got to play. He got to see the live bullets. He got to see what it's like. And now maybe he takes some time, maybe it's the rest of the year, maybe it's a month or two, or you know, a few games, who knows, and sees how a guy who is not as physically talented as he is has stayed in the league for 10 years. And and who does that who does that sound like? It sounds like Mike Remmers. And Mitch Schwartz. There you go. Yep. And that's and so I think that's the right move. It surprised me. I'm not surprised. Like it could have been they mentioned, well, there was like a hamstring thing. Maybe there was, <laughs> but, but it's also a way to let him like, Hey, you know, we think he's been doing all right. He had a little injury. Mike played well. We're going to let Mike keep playing for a bit. I, I think it's a testament though, to the fact that Niang, I don't think was playing that badly mm-hmm. and they still, they could, they pulled them. I think in part, maybe because of a little bit of an injury, but also because they could, because they had a perfectly competent right tackle sitting there. And I appreciate that they made that move because this line looks really good. And I think it's only going to keep getting better. Um, do we want to give out predictions and the, then let Seth read us out? I kind of like that. I kind of like that uh, summary. If that works for you guys, I think you'll. I think you'll like this. This. This readout. I think you'll like it as a closing. Nate, I know you're our closer, but I think you'll like it. No, go I think, ahead. I think. It, I think it sent this into a brick wall. Give me. A, give me a prediction of how you guys are feeling, real quick. One sentence. Chiefs by four, in a very high scoring game. I think I said 35-31 earlier today. So I with Chiefs. I feel like I should pick it to the Chiefs. I'm 500 picking the Chiefs this year because they're 500. But I think that you're right. Hmm. Uh, Chiefs by a touchdown. Ooh. Okay, Seth. I'm All right. Come back here down to this voice. This is this uh, being read now. The poetry corner. Uh, a snippet of an article that you can read at the Chief in the North newsletter at mnchiefsfan.substack.com, written and read and narrated which means the same thing here by the author, Mm. Seth Kaiser. Seth, take it away. Thank you. Good evening. I wrote after the Bills game that an era felt like it had come to an end, an era of optimism and expecting things to end in the Chiefs' favor. Mm. What I hadn't thought about at that time, and what was perhaps hidden from me in the heat of the moment, is that no matter how much individual games, or even series of games, might go back to feeling like the same old Chiefs, One thing remains quite true. When you have the best player in the world, things are never going to actually be the same that they were before he arrived. Mm. Snap him out, Nate. Let's snap out of the show. Snap, everybody. Great stuff. For my football soul.